strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So there was another meeting at the border, another trip. It was a, a, a bi- I should say, tripartisan because uh, led by Senator Kirsten Sinema, who's an I- independent. But it was uh, Republicans, Democrats, and an independent senator made their way down alongside members of Congress, visited part of Cochise County to speak with local leaders. In attendance, uh, Juan Siscomani, the representative from Southern Arizona, Tony Gonzalez from Texas, David uh, Volato, I think is how you pronounce his last name, a Republican from California, Senator Tom Tillis. Um, I, I thought there were some Democrats that went. Maybe I was wrong. Local officials asked the Capitol delegation to help in mitigating the border-related issues. So um, the headline is that Senator Cinema is saying Homeland Security is not ready for the end of Title 42. That's the quote. Uh, during the roundtable discussion in Bisbee, Cinema said it appears that there's no plan in place when Title 42 is lifted. Uh, if planning has to take place, Cinema said it's not sufficient to handle the expected increase in migrant encounters. The end of Title 42 will have an unbelievable impact on our other ports of entry across parts of southern Arizona. I, I want to go into a little detail about this only because I've been watching this documentary series. I talked about this the other day. There is a documentary series that is really good. It's really good, and it's called To Catch a Smuggler, and it follows CBP at airports. And it mostly is about drug smuggling, but it's about people bringing in food illegally. It's about the agriculture and and people smuggling artifacts. So there's a little bit of other things, but largely it's how at ports of entry and airports, CBP is working to stop the importation of fentanyl, of cocaine, methamphetamines, especially sometimes it's marijuana, but it is a daunting task. When you see the square footage of warehouse space um, at uh, JFK, at LAX, um, they're at Atlanta, they're in Miami, they are all over the place and trying to track this. When you have these issues at the border and migrant encounters, it takes away so many resources from so many other places. You want to know when we talk about fentanyl getting into this country and we talk about other illicit drugs getting into this country, it isn't just the border port, uh, points of entry. It is a big part of it. But it also has to do with these airports and how they get them on airplanes. And you see the different tricks people are using, um, five-gallon drums of what is supposed to be some kind of paint, multiple pallets. It looked like over 100 five-gallon drums. And out of all of those five-gallon um, five buckets, like three or four of them had liquid meth in it. So here they are having to scan and weigh all of these trying to find this. Um, the way they hide it in the frames of vehicles, using magnets and, and sticking them under cars. And sometimes people don't know it's under the car they're driving across the border. In many cases, the 18-wheel trucks, it's hidden in cargo, and the driver has no idea it's in the cargo. So this is a daunting task that we've already got for people in CBP. But now on top of all of that, you're going to have this bigger influx of human beings that must be dealt with. Our laws have requirements to expedite the process of when they are able to see somebody. The appointments at times are, I think in New York, it's a five-year waiting list now to have an asylum appointment. This is something that needs – I mean we keep talking about it. But how much did this delegation learn? I heard – I mentioned this earlier. I had a Congressman Siscomani um, at, at an event. We were at an event together, and he spoke. And there was a level of brilliance to how simplified he made the issue. 
of of the three levels. I, he called it three buckets. I called it three legs of a stool in the border issue, that there are separate issues at the border. One of them is border security. One of them is immigration. And the other one is commerce and trade. And they all work independently of other each other, and they are all intertwined. And the issues at the border are separate. And must be dealt with separately, even though they affect each other. So we hear about the immigration conversation while we're talking about the border security issue. And we end up muddling the two together. We talk about commerce and trade, and we mix that with border security. It's a very difficult topic, or they are all difficult topics. The idea that the American immigration system at this point in our lives isn't better than it is is embarrassing. And it shows you kind of the worst part of who we are politically. Both sides of the aisle know what needs to happen. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that long ago that the Democrats were the border hawks and border security was a number one issue. If you want to see something that will make your jaw drop open, I believe it was in 2009. I could be wrong, but I think it was 2009 that Chuck Schumer gave a speech and laid out a plan to end illegal immigration. And what he said about using the uh, phrase undocumented worker, he said he wouldn't do it. He said because it tells the American people we are not serious about ending illegal immigration. He went on to say, if you believe it's illegal, you'll say it's illegal. And I believe it's illegal and it's wrong. Those were the words of Chuck Schumer. So this is not a difficult thing. What it is is politics at its best. It is duck and cover, run and hide, don't say anything. Where's the vice president on this? But most of all, what about – not just me. It's you know talk radio. It's what we're supposed to do when a Democrat is in office and the Democrats hold the Senate is complain about their bad policy. All of us as U.S. citizens should be standing up in unison and saying we need an immigration system that's better. We also should be saying we need a border that's secure. Because border security is one part of this. It's not everything. Because we still have our ports of entry that have to be um, investigated. They still have drug-sniffing dogs, and they have people that do random checks at customs. They are still searching people's baggage. They're still doing those things and finding people bringing this poison into our country. We also are going to need law enforcement, and we're going to need prosecutors that take this seriously before there's going to be a dent put in this issue. Um, There are more and more attention being paid to the Americans that are um, in in Mexico, that are lost in Mexico, that have been captured or disappeared. And it's becoming a bigger story after what we've seen recently. But in the end, this entire thing, as the the senator says, we are not prepared. But no one's surprised because this is just the next level of our unpreparedness. It, It is frustrating to people. And you wonder when these delegations go down there, at this point, what new things are they learning? And if the new thing they learned here is on top of everything else that's been abysmal about the border, handling of the border, they're not prepared for the expiration of Title 42. It's just one more level of people being angry. In a moment, we shift to the economy because Goldman is saying that we are in for some huge jobless numbers. And we're going to talk about what that means. And overall, in the economy, what are the new reports? We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, we want to invite you to help us make a difference in our community. We've started something called the Action Alliance. We're very proud of the work we're doing, and I've got so many great people that have volunteered so far. Great time to get together and help in the community. And if you want to join us, just text the word ACTION to 411923. You're not committing to every single thing we do. You come to the ones you want, come to the ones you can, but it's a great way to help in the community. Text ACTION to 411923. Um, uh, start off as like I do often with headlines. Goldman warns of a shocking surge in tomorrow's initial jobless claims. Um, Small businesses file bankruptcy at a record pace, surpassing the COVID crash. Layoffs are up nearly fivefold so far this year with tech companies leading the way. I mean, that's just wham, wham, wham. That's just getting hit over and over again. Um, This is when people talked about the recession. This was part of the big concern. Another another story, bank, banks could be uh, begin canceling lines of business credit soon. Stocks haven't looked as unattractive since 2007. The allure of shares dimmed when bond yields surged and the corporate earnings picture continued to darken. Um, there are people that are fearful and fear is a great motivator and um, perception is reality is another a term that's used very often and it's true. But what do we do now? This was the plan. You have to understand that this has been the plan when the interest rates, when we kept saying as, the, as a country, we've got to lower inflation. And the president and the administration and the people that work uh, you know, around this president kept telling us that it was transitory inflation, that there was nothing to worry about. There would be a very minimal spike and that it would drop off. So they sat on their hands and they did nothing. Um, that issue became much bigger. It is, again, like being diagnosed with a major illness, a disease. The longer you wait to treat it, the more invasive the uh, treatment has to be. And in this case, it's going to be hard to reverse. And this is kind of the direction we're on. Raising the interest rates, making it harder for businesses to borrow money, slowing down the economy, people losing their jobs, purchases going down. Fear is where people are not extending themselves with credit. And we are beginning to see that happening. But how far will it go? And then does it begin to spin out of control? The White House still says they have a handle on it. They're going to get a handle on it. We will see. Um, You know, the the fear for me is not the wealthy all the time, Um, you know, because they're the job creators. And I worry about not them losing their wealth, but them not investing their wealth and keeping the economy moving forward. The fear is also about working people that work very hard. There, There are times when people cause their own problems and, you know, you feel bad for them on one level, but, you know, it's self induced. When someone is a good employee, when an employer has to go to a good employee and say, I just can't keep you employed right now, either we don't have the work or I've got to make cuts, whatever it is, that's a hard thing for an employer to do. But for an employee to face that and say, you know, I know that, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. 
I've done nothing to earn a layoff. I've done nothing but work hard. You're a victim of circumstances that you can't control. That scares me because you're going to see working families financially fall through the cracks. We are going to see big issues, especially if we start seeing job losses outpacing a drop in inflation, meaning that we're not hitting the bottom fast enough and more and more people are falling off the financial cliff. These things concern me on this on this jobless claim uh, for the past nine months. We've been waiting, warning that whether by accident or due to active and malign data manipulation, the U.S. labor market is far worse shape than indicated by labor markets. This is from Zero Hedge from the labor market. Here's an example of some of our work. And it said the Department of Labor, because while misrepresented how strong the Biden labor market is, they were given the Fed a false sense of comfort in the strength of the economy and enabling it to hike rates long past the point where they should have been pausing and or pivoting. So um, they're talking about what is going to happen in this report. According to Goldman chief economist, um, who has been turning increasingly more skeptical on this uh, Biden jobs data, the same distortions to the seasonal factors for which uh, they blasted at zero has blasted two months ago. Currently depressing reported seasonally adjusted initial claims by 40 to 50,000 and have masked a roughly 45,000 rise in the official uh, official series since the start of the year meaning the economy was in a much worse place than we were being told. This is why, again, politics is politics. I am not of the same political party as this president, so I didn't agree with his policies going in. But it is the slow reaction to things that is making people in his own party angry. It is telling everybody it's transitory inflation, bragging about job numbers and what's saying here, skewing data so the job market looked much stronger than it was, motivating the Fed to continue to raise interest rates because they were trying to slow the job market down. So now they're saying they have gone way too far, cutting way too deep, and now we're going to pay a big price for it. Is that what's happening? It is an interesting uh, possibility. In a moment, we're going to talk about a challenge to this president. Uh, RFK Jr., Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr., files paperwork for a 2024 presidential run. What exactly does this mean for the president and his party? That's coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time. I think that this is interesting about American politics. I had this conversation yesterday um, uh, about President Biden and the lack of popularity with his own party. Only 25% of Democrats in a recent poll want this president to run for re-election. That doesn't mean that that 75% would vote for a Republican. They are just saying they prefer a different Democrat. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has filed paperwork for a 2024 presidential run. Is this going to be a repeat, although from different parties, of in the 1970s when Gerald Ford was the president? Um, Because we know when, when Richard Nixon resigned, that um, Gerald Ford was challenged in a primary by the then Ronald Reagan. 
And a lot of people don't remember that history of Reagan of when he ran and challenged a sitting president, a sitting Republican in a primary. And it angered the party that there were many within the Republican Party that thought you don't do that to a sitting president from your party. You put on a you put on a good face, you smile and you don't challenge him. He lost in that primary, Reagan did, and made a lot of people angry. But then in turn, Gerald Ford lost the presidential election to Jimmy Carter. That gave us Jimmy Carter in 1976. He was elected um, and president from, you know, obviously from then 77 to 81. Reagan then came back, earned the Republican nomination running against the Democrat and won the presidency. And then we got Reagan through those mid 80s. And um and I would I look at this and I think, is is this what's happening here? Is this a challenge to Biden to set up 2028? Uh, do they learn from history of when you challenge the sitting president in your own party? Or is there enough anti-Biden sentiment in the sense I don't believe they dislike Joe Biden. They, they are concerned that Joe Biden can't beat a lot of the Republican candidates. This is something that the Republicans don't do a very good job at, in my opinion. Um, They don't look at electability. That's just my belief, that they look at other factors and not just electability. And in this case, I think they like Joe Biden's policies. I think the Democrats are in lockstep in many cases with his border policies, as they are certainly with his climate change initiative. They like all of that. They want to see the rich pay more in taxes. They like a lot of the platforms of the Biden administration. They're not necessarily big fans of the slow reaction to things. But if it was Biden against Trump, those 75 Five percent of Democrats that don't want him to run again would vote for Biden. There's no doubt about that. But what is going into this? I mean, this is all of this that's happening. You look at the the president, uh, the former president and the now 34 felony uh, charges against him. Is this galvanizing more than his base? Because there are other people that are now saying Ann Coulter, who and I don't know Ann Coulter. I've never had her on the show, um, and she's been known as kind of a firebrand. You know, she, she definitely shoots from the hip. She doesn't uh, she doesn't pull back anything she believes. She wrote a piece that says, "Hey, Republicans are being duped here. That uh, the left wants nothing more than they want Donald Trump to be the nominee for the Republicans because they believe there is no way that independent and Democrat voters together." are going to allow Donald Trump to be president again. And she believes that the Democrats would love it if Donald Trump were the Republican nominee. And you're being duped if you think otherwise, that this is trying to ruin his career. Um, And I don't know the answer to that. I'll be honest, I don't. But looking at the president we have right now, the issues that the world is facing, and now you've got at least one Democrat that's going to challenge him in a primary, this is fascinating. And this is absolutely fascinating to me. What will be the results for the Democrats? Is he going to stay in the race? Is this a legitimate challenge to the president? Could you imagine, imagine a sitting president losing a primary? And what message would that send to the American people about that political party? All of this plays a role in it. And the other part of this that's different, I mean, this is so dramatically different than the 1970s um, when Reagan challenged Ford, is that we have such a huge number and growing of independent voters in this country. So it is the difference between being a, a preacher and being a missionary. And what I mean by that is when you're a preacher, 
you realize that when you walk out on a Sunday morning, especially if you're the preacher of a of the same church, you know, if you're the head pastor at a church, that on a Sunday morning, you know what the congregation is looking for. You've got believers sitting in the pews, with a few exceptions, but you've got believers sitting in the pews. They are there for the message. You open the book, you preach the message, they say amen, and everyone goes to brunch. When you're a missionary, it's different. You have got to convince people. They are there to listen. They're open-minded. They want to hear what you have to say. They can be sold. But you've got to convince them that your message is the truth. And that's where it's different now than it was in the 1970s. Republicans were in their pews. Democrats were in their pews. They were there to hear the message. You preach the message. And whichever party could motivate their base to turn out and vote, it was all about turnout from each individual party. Now political leaders have got to convince independent voters that really don't care about the labels. They don't care Republican, Democrat. They care ideas. They want someone they can relate to. They want someone they believe is going to vote or rule or that rule is a bad word for a president, but um, to be in charge, to be the leader on the issues that they find most important. And there, there are independent voters that are not sold. They may lean right or they may lean left, but they're not sold on you just because of a letter next to your name or the blue or red backdrop behind your picture. That's going to change a lot of things, and maybe that's why the Democrats are doing this. When they see the act, the horrible poll numbers for Joe Biden with independent voters, maybe they are believing that some Republican that could be, in their mind, a mediocre threat in other ways, in other races, in this one could be a formidable threat because there are so many dissatisfied independent voters. I just think this is an interesting look into how American politics is changing. We haven't seen something like this happen since the 70s. And it's interesting in how the comparisons have been with Joe Biden and Jimmy Carter's administration. It was this challenge by Ronald Reagan that gave us Jimmy Carter in the first place. Gerald Ford neither being elected to the office of vice president or president. And this is uh, that was a whole different world back then. But what it did help Reagan do was run a national campaign. And that's what he was able to do in that primary, even though he lost. He had an infrastructure in place that four years later, when Carter stubbed his toe with the American people and even Democrats were upset with the condition of the country, Reagan had a machine in place to be a viable candidate ending up the president of the United States. But now you've got to overcome independent voters. How difficult is it going to be to overcome those independent voters? I think it's a fascinating study. Um, Is there room to compromise on the transgender issue? I've been wrestling with this for at least 24 hours. In people's minds, is there room for compromise? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, this may 
or may not surprise people. I know most of the words. I, I do. I do know most of the words. So I'm not singing them. I just got called a coward from the newsroom that I won't sing this song. Um, anyway, I want to talk about an issue that's been perplexing, and I want to tell you why it's perplexing. Um, I, like, along with most people, realize that I've got so much going on in my life that I need to fix that I don't have time or nor do I have the inclination to force you to fix yours or change yours or condemn yours. So I think there is a level among most people, and I like this about Americans, is that we don't necessarily – we all have opinions, but we don't necessarily care what you do. And I love that about Arizona. I think that's one of the reasons I moved to Arizona is that everybody's opinionated and everybody's willing to tell you their opinion. But in the end, do what you want. You know, I'm not telling you how to live. I'm telling you how I think you should live. I mean, there's a difference there. It's the issue of transgender, the transgender issue, the drag show issue that we continue to fight about. And every time I look at it, I think that's not what the fight is. And yet we continue to fight about it. Let me explain. I don't think maybe I'm putting my thought process into your head. I don't care what you do. If you are more comfortable living as a woman or transitioning to be a woman or the other way around, none of my business. I don't care. But if you don't realize while you're going through that transition that you look like a man in a dress to some people and that's odd to see, then you have to understand that there are people that see you as out of the ordinary. Not They're not condemning, but they're certainly noticing. There's a level of compromise there. I had a person that worked on a job site for me, and uh, she was transgender. She was obviously a male going through the transition and was doing the full transition. And when she first went onto this job site, it was a big job, too. There were a lot of trades and a lot of people. This person got a lot of attention. But she also understood why and was really good at her job. And by the time the job was over, she had won everybody over. Nobody cared anymore. Nobody cared. And that you're talking about construction workers and all the stereotyping you think you would have. But there's something else, and it's about sexualizing children. Here's a headline. Tell me if this headline bothers you. Um, uh, let me find it. Uh, I got a whole stack of stuff. And it has to do with a... Uh, a positive point of the night, grassroots education organizers pick up this uh, ski board, uh, school board wins. But this is about um, a strip club in Orlando, Florida, that was employing a 15-year-old stripper. There was a girl, 15 years of age, that was employed. Orlando Strip Club employees arrested after deputies find a 15-year-old dancer working there. Are you incensed? I am. I think it's gross. Well, then why is it when we hear story after story after story of Drag Queen Story Hour, um, which they say it's just reading books and it's not about that. This is about bringing the sexual ideas to children. When you see a a drag queen um, in a school gym giving a lap dance to a high school student, why does that not gross you out? And if it grosses me out, is it because now I'm transphobic or I don't know what it is, is we are bringing sexual things to children. Now, we all know in this day and age with the Internet, kids are going to seek out things they want to watch and they're going to figure out their sexuality as they go along. But one thing we've always done as adults is we didn't condone it. 
Remember, there was always the cool parent that said, I'd rather have my daughter having sex in my house than in the backseat of a car so she'd let the boyfriend stay over. And people would say, what are you doing? But it's your kid. You do what you want. But I'm not sending my kid there. We understand at some point in our lives, and if kids are with their parents right now, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but we understand as adults at some point, our children are doing things we don't know they're doing. And let's be honest, we don't want to ask them about it. We want them to be safe. We want them to make good decisions, and we want them to have information. But what we don't do is allow other adults to sexualize them. Not, I'm not talking about grooming so you can have sex with them. We're talking about sexualizing them. We wouldn't let I, – like I, I've mentioned before, I have two nieces and a nephew. My brother is my best friend. His wife, Jamie, is truly the sister I never had. She is like a sister to me. I would never in a million years talk about sex to their kids. It's not my business. And if their kids came to me, which they never would, came to me with something sexual, I would go straight to my brother and his wife. There's not another circumstance in our lives where we allow adults to sexualize our children. That is your job. You teach the morality of sex in your home. So we have a story of a 15-year-old girl working as a stripper, and everybody goes, ew. If you walked into a strip club for a bachelor party and there was a guy bellied up to the bar with his 14-year-old son, you'd call the cops. And yet somehow this issue of transgender and drag shows has gotten so convoluted that anybody that says that doesn't belong in schools is transphobic. No, it isn't. No, it isn't transphobic. Is there an area of compromise where we all can at least agree you live your life the way you want, but just don't inflict it on my children? If you're a parent that thinks it's important for your child to understand that at a much younger age than I would mine, then you go do that with your child. But it's not going to happen in school. It shouldn't happen in school. Can we at least agree on that? Is there room for compromise? I mean, there should be instead of this rock throwing thing we do all the time. I shouldn't have to justify and say, I'm not transphobic or I'm not this or that when I'm saying this shouldn't be in school with children. Why can't we at least agree on that? Coming up, uh, we're going to talk about the city council's job. Is it their job to stop development? What I mean by that is we know that there is development going on in Phoenix, and they're getting rid of some property to do it, and people will be displaced from their homes. We're going to talk about that issue coming up here in just a moment. Stick around.